Welcome to Compassion Radio 360. Friday. Time for 360. Welcome to the microphone, honey. Thanks. It's great to be here. It is our time at the end of the week to take a look around the world as we see it. Try to find something in the news that's happening today that might have some eternal lessons to teach us, or at least point our attention, our focus in a way that we can actually approach the things that are eternal and not get so caught up in the things that are so temporal. Mm Mm-hmm. That seems to be a big issue with us as believers, even, that we get caught up on what's happening right in front of us, right here in our own country and in the world, that we lose our perspective on the kingdom. That's why talking about the things that are basically current events help us get a new perspective on what the kingdom looks like, what an eternal perspective is. We get caught up in the present, in the here and now, how it affects us personally. When we use phrases in American English like, in the here and now, or reality. They're usually used in terms of describing things as material, the things you can see and touch with your own hands. At the same time, we have all kinds of examples in the Word of God, like Elisha and his servant standing in the city that's about to be attacked by a major army, getting in tune with what God sees. Elisha saying, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so he can see what I see. And he does. And this kid suddenly looks out there and sees the angel armies standing guard around the city. There's no way in reality, (laughs) that the opposing army has any chance if it chooses to advance. When we are open to the things that God sees and is doing and perceive things the way he perceives them, it will always, I think, transform our perspective and our actions. Mm -hmm. And we do believe in actions as literal application of faith. Well, yeah. But let's talk about the news item that's on our agenda right now, the importance of and the ramifications of a decision that came down from the Supreme Court in our country concerning voting and redistricting in each state. Alabama is right in the center of it right now because they redistricted to exclude what seems to be a majority of black people in their state from actually being able to vote or at least to be able to vote with some kind of credibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, most blacks are basically put into what they would call throwaway districts. That seems to go against some of the progress we've made as a nation during the civil rights era and even after the Civil War, trying to guarantee the rights of the individual, no matter what their color, to be able to participate in our democracy so that the people, all the people together would decide who their leaders are. And then the leaders would then serve us by passing the laws that enable us to become a much better union along the way. What was the crux of the argument supporting this kind of action? Well, I think it comes down to we should defer to the states as much as possible. Mm -hmm. An ethic that the Supreme Court of the United States has leaned on for the past 200 years plus in order to not keep pushing the states into corners. Mm -hmm. Let them have some say in how they live their lives. It also led us to the greatest conflicts we ever had. Mm -hmm. The Civil War would not have existed had the Congress and the state legislators across the country been more in unison, had been able to pull on the same wagon, so to speak. Right. They weren't. They were diametrically opposed. And in some ways, you and I see that we are diametrically opposed in our culture today, which can lead to some very strange outcomes. This decision keeps a principle of states' rights and states' preference, mm-hmm. the right of the state to have a say in how they conduct their own elections. So essentially, the Supreme Court overlooked 
the individuals that this affected and sided with the state as a whole. Yeah, and had decided in such a fashion that is preferential to one party, not the other. Mm. So that's a real tension, right? What is the Supreme Court supposed to do other than to try to lean on precedent as much as possible right. so they don't keep upsetting the applicant too much? And now we have to figure out how do we preserve this Constitution so it doesn't blow up in our face again in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. But over time, minimalism failed in a very crucial and bloody way. Can this nation, can this Constitution long endure? That's the question before us. There are plenty of people, I think, that would like to scrap it all and start over. Mm. And they're acting that way. I'm personally of the camp of being a constitutional conservative myself, not being so abrupt that it causes a conflict immediately. At the same time, to not ignore the reasons why change needs to happen to do it in such a way that preserves the Constitution itself, because the Constitution is strong, because it's flexible. Hmm. When it stops being flexible, it will shatter. Same way as our country. If our country stops being flexible with each other, we will shatter. Those things are important to you and I, I think, as citizens of this country, because it's our country. You know, you and I were born here. We're right. natural-born citizens. At the same time, we have a much bigger principle that we've alluded to in the beginning of this program, that we are citizens of a kingdom. Mm -hmm. And you and I also have rights and privileges of something that is not of this world. And when Jesus stands up before the most powerful guy in the land, the head of the Roman government in the Holy Land at that time, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world, we read it and say, oh, he's talking about the kingdom to come, the heaven that comes after this earth. Mm -hmm. He was not saying that. It includes it because everywhere Jesus is, his rule and reign is present. Right. I believe that theologically. Wherever he shows up, stuff happens his way. Well, if we live like that, it's a more urgent way of living. If we live like the kingdom is present and yeah. here with us, then we live in such a way that's beautiful and includes all of those around us. Which is the big point. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying my kingdom is not present. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely saying his kingdom is present in this world, yeah. but it is not of the same stuff, of the same ethics, of the same beliefs even, or even of the same power mm -hmm. as the world would see as powerful and established and long-lasting. His kingdom is made of different stuff. So as believers, how do we live this kingdom ethic in a republic here in the United States? The church in general needs to spend a lot more time focusing on. I think it's been pushed to extremes in some pretty bad ways in yeah. the past few years. We don't really think it through and say, well, if Jesus is saying that there's a kingdom that is existing right now, that also means that other kingdoms, other systems of government will also have to coexist with the same people present. Mm -hmm. I think without saying it to the big dog in town, which happened to be Pontius Pilate, Jesus is saying, we got to learn to live together. These people are not going away, but he's also kind of giving him a sly reassurance. My kingdom is not of this world means in some ways it's not really a threat to you. Yeah. The funny thing for me, the irony is, this power that we look down upon across all these centuries, we as Christians think, oh, the bad guys that were running the country, they were the closest system of government that we can imagine to what we are in right, America today. Right. In fact, we literally built our system of government upon many of the components that the Roman Empire had. Mm-hmm. And we provided for halls for the people, the halls for the senators that would represent different power interests and balance them against each other. And that's exactly how the Roman Empire was able to endure for as long as it did. They balanced the powers, except for a few dictators that took the throne and ripped it out of the hands of the Senate and created the age of empire where they had to have a strong man. Mm -hmm. And that really was the beginning of the end for the Roman Empire. When it all went to that and they didn't back away from it, they couldn't roll it back again to become a democracy or a republic again. They were now strictly a dictatorship, mm. and that's where it fell apart. Yeah. But 
those citizens of the Roman Empire had rights, individual rights. They had political rights. They had rights of property. They had rights of a certain kind of property we would call chattel, which means slavery. Mm -hmm. They had their right to literally enslave others who were not citizens or take advantage of them because those others were other. And the more the Roman Empire leaned on the labor of others without giving them rights and honor due for their hard work, the more they began to rot from within. Mm -hmm. It's re-emerging. I don't think it's healthy for us. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think it's healthy for the church. And we've seen the church wrestling over what does it mean to be free in mm -hmm. Christ? What does it mean to be a kingdom here in this country? I don't think that you're meaning we're taking slaves on. I'm not sure I'm not saying that. I mean, think about how we tend to exploit undocumented labor. I mean, all kinds of industries in our country are depending upon mm, the low cost of labor below the floor. It was considered mm -hmm. acceptable within our own nation for citizens. We're willing to exploit that in order to keep prices low for us. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a subtle form of it happening. That does not mean that the average person in America wants people to suffer so that I can have a cheap hamburger or a less expensive car or house. I think if they really thought about it, they would say, no, everybody deserves to have a fair wage and to live on it. Mm -hmm. It lends ourselves towards thinking in ways that are not necessarily productive for us. The kingdom of God, I believe, should be informing the countries in which it lives. They should be showing the way. How do you live in such a way that you are living openly and freely and unashamedly faithful to your God and also thinking of the other before yourself? Hmm. So you have an enlightened self-interest, as Adam Smith would have said. You need to have the attitude that as you bring yourself up, you do not harm others. Kind of like doctors are told, first of all, do no harm. You have to take care of them. That's your job. The church has to think of others first mm -hmm. because when you do, you will benefit. God says, I will take care of you. But don't forget the least of these. He said that over and over again. And Jesus said it many, 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 many times to his own disciples. Live like this. I think that flows perfectly into the scripture that you and I discussed about this whole program today. Mm -hmm. What we would say in response to these things. Yeah. In a world where rights are being challenged, the rights to free assembly, the rights to vote, rights to whatever, because people are acting out of fear. If there's that much distrust happening, there'll be very little goodwill. Mm -hmm even for those who are of the household of faith. And so I would say the challenge for us as believers are, can we get on God's wavelength about what he says in his gospels is a way to live to benefit you, not mm -hmm. just the person that is going to benefit from those rights and those protections, mm -hmm. but to you as a believer and follower of me, that I will honor you and I will provide for you. I will give you opportunity. I'll make life meaningful and full and rich right here, right now, mm -hmm. if you will follow me and walk in the way that I walk. Mm -hmm. That's the invitation and the command we've had since the beginning. When we don't, we implode. And the church as an institution will, and families will implode, nations will implode when they get self-centered instead of other-centered. The church has got to lead the way in this. We have to look at what God would say true religion is. And when I say true religion, I'm not saying like we should be establishing a Bible-thumping bureaucracy. That has not worked very well for the countries that have tried it. It certainly hasn't worked well for the Islamic world. It is about seeing what the kingdom is. And if the kingdom really is about our relationship with a very present Savior and a God who loves us and knows us and has every good intention and every ability to act on his good intentions and will never do us wrong, if we believe we're in that kind of kingdom, then God is right here. We're going to worship him. That is religion, true religion. Mm -hmm. It's also... The system of government within the kingdom. To worship him and to walk in his ways is to obey the law of freedom. And we're going to read about that law of freedom today. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word 
inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. The kingdom really is about our relationship with a very present Savior and a God who loves us and knows us and has every good intention and every ability to act on his good intentions and will never do us wrong. If we believe we're in that kind of kingdom, then God is right here. We're going to worship him. That is true religion. Mm -hmm. It's also the system of government within the kingdom. To worship him and to walk in his ways is to obey the law of freedom. And we're going to read about that law of freedom today. So my setup is, God is talking about the kind of government that he runs. Not because he wants us to run a facsimile of that in the world, but because he wants us to live by it so that the world can see what it's like to live in freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the scripture we're going to use today is? James chapter 1. Where are we going to start in James? Well, I'd like to read a couple of verses above verse 22 as well. Verse 16 says, My dearly loved brothers and sisters, don't be misled. Every good gift bestowed, every perfect gift received, comes to us from above, courtesy of the Father of lights. He is consistent. He won't change his mind or play tricks in the shadows. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 22. Put the word into action. If you think hearing is what matters most, you're going to find you have been deceived. If some fail to do what God requires, it's as if they forget the word as soon as they hear it. One minute they look into the mirror, and the next they forget who they are and what they look like. However, it is possible to open your eyes and take in the beautiful, perfect truth found in God's law of liberty and live by it. If you pursue that path and actually do what God has commanded, then you will avoid the many distractions that lead to an amnesia of all true things, and you will be blessed. And you'll be blessed. Important point. If you put yourself on a pedestal, thinking you have become a role model in all things religious, but you can't control your mouth, then think again. Your mouth exposes your heart and your religion is useless. Real, true religion from God, the Father's perspective is about caring for orphans and widows who suffer needlessly and resisting the evil influence of the world. James says really clearly here (laughs) that this is what it is to be really religious, to be a true follower. It's taking care of those who can't necessarily take care of themselves. And not being sucked into the way the world thinks and acts. Right. Those two things are important. One is taking care of those who are in need. Mm -hmm. The other one is to not do damage in the world you live in. Mm -hmm. 
Both those things have to be in balance in your life and present. I can remember one time my granddaddy said something about an evangelist that had come to our church. <laughs> my granddaddy was a very simple man. He wore khaki pants and a button shirt and a fedora hat sometimes, and he wore work boots. He was just a man of the land, basically. Mm-hmm. Worked with Literally. his hands. This evangelist was suited up, slicked back hair, and just looked fantastic. And my granddaddy said, after the evangelist spoke that night, he thinks more highly of himself than he ought. <laughs> That's something that we need to take into consideration. Do we think more highly of ourselves than we ought? Not to put ourselves down and to debase ourselves and to just, you know, crush ourselves, but not to put ourselves on a pedestal like James is talking about here. If you have put yourself on a pedestal and you think, like our kids would say, all that in a bag of chips, then you need to reconsider. Think yeah. again, he says. Yeah. And your mouth needs to be closed. The reason I think I, I really take your granddad's words seriously is because of his legacy. Your granddad, from everybody who's ever talked about him, he was a man of kind words. Mm-hmm. He never spoke poorly of anybody, even if they were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew the secrets of the town that you grew up in. He could have brought the hammer down on anybody any time, and people knew his integrity. If he said something in court, it would have carried a lot of weight with people on the jury. That's the kind of man he was. Mm-hmm. So when he says something like he thinks more highly than he ought, that's a very discerning thing to say, but it's also a crushing indictment <laughs> from the lips of a guy that was so gentle and so encouraging and so positive in his words. It takes a lot to provoke somebody like that. Yeah. But it is also important to say something sometimes. If something is blatantly in your face that you know is just not right, calling it out is something that has to happen. But We have to be careful about how our lips do it. Mm -hmm. How we say things, not just what we say, has weight Mm -hmm. before God and his court and before the court of public opinion. If we're angry all the time, if we're yelling at each other, if we're using profanity, if we can't express ourselves without vitriol and bile and ugliness, something is fundamentally wrong with our faith. Mm -hmm. Our religion ain't true. If you are always blaming somebody else, if you're always angry about something, Something in you has to give, not the other. Mm-hmm. Even if we're right and we're angry about it, something's still wrong. Well, James says in another part of the scripture here that when we welcome the word into our lives, that it blossoms yeah. into a seed of salvation. Now, when I think of the word blossom, I think of spring and flowers mm-hmm. and beautiful fruit-bearing trees. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. When something blossoms It usually means it's something of beauty. When the word is planted into our hearts, in our lives, and it begins to blossom, this beautiful thing that grows and expands and welcomes and and brings enjoyment to others, that is a picture of the salvation of the Lord. That is the picture of what God is really calling us to be. Well, you know, Paul also talks about seeds that are sown unto death. There is something about the idea of spiritual death or dying, productive in its own kind. It brings out more death. There are things that we can plow into our lives spiritually that are of death that will produce more death, produce more suffering, produce more antichrist in our lives and in the lives of others. So we have to be very careful what we're sowing because those things will multiply. The seed of the word of God is the seed of beauty. Yeah. And it brings about salvation. And anything else than that is going to be a poor substitute for it. And again, we're not talking about trying to set up a theocracy. Like we're trying to impose our will and cover ourselves with the Bible to do it. The kingdom of God is about God's will covering us so that we can come into him without fear mm-hmm. and be one-on-one, face-to-face with the living God and hear him when he says something, to see him because he's beautiful. And the things he looks at will always be intentional. 
he'll have a reason for us to follow his eyes somewhere, to mm-hmm. see something different his way. Mm-hmm. And it will always produce spiritual fruit in us that is good. Mm-hmm. I would say that if you examine your religion and it's not taking care of the widows and orphans. Or you think you are not obligated to. Or the oppressed, the downtrodden, or the other, then it's a false religion. Yeah. Yeah, I think James would be very quick on that one. Probably, too, because they saw poverty up close a lot then. Yeah. And in fact, the church itself was becoming impoverished because they had given away so much and what was left was being stripped away from them by the authorities. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, everyone was piling on the Christians. Maybe the Christians today are fearful that something like that's going to repeat itself. Mm. I would say that even then, we've missed the boat because we are not being persecuted yet. We are not likely to be persecuted for our goodness, but there's a lot of things that can reasonably be said by people outside the church about our attitudes, not being generous, Mm -hmm. not being charitable, not being kind. So we're not leading the way as we could be or should be in the ways that Jesus laid out for us. I think if we get ourselves on that wavelength, God will in fact take care of us. And even if we do suffer for that, let's suffer for righteousness sake, not for being jerks. We don't really own this country. Nobody owns this country. We're a citizen of this country. In the same way that we are citizens of a kingdom, we don't own the kingdom. We don't tell the king what to do. We are privileged to be a member of that. But privileges also have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. They do in this country, too. What I would hope, again, is that we living in the kingdom of God in such a way that honors God first and takes care of the things he says to take care of spills over so that that attitude, that ethic, is the example we bring to our nation. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it works for us. People are taken care of. It's a beautiful place to be. We are the kind of people that love and take care of and get down to the business that Jesus said to do. If nothing else, if we only did that, that would be enough. But man, how wonderful it is to be in a free society where we can do it in the open, Mm -hmm. where others can see our example, say, I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. I'd like to live that way. I'd like our country to be acting like that. Well, here you have an example. It's not because we had a book or a monument that we are successful as Christians. It's mm-hmm. because we have the Spirit of God bringing that book to life right. and that we are his living testament, yeah. his living monuments. When we have those things alive in this country, we will be leading the way. When we defer to hard things in stone outside of ourselves, I think that's going to take care of us when we're unwilling to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have no right to expect that our country is going to follow him or to be the city on the hill that cannot be hid. We, friends, whether we have a government that's positive toward us or not, we are that city on a hill. We are the ones that are going to be seen, and we are the ones as a family of God, as a kingdom of God, Mm. that will be judged by the world for whether we stayed obedient and faithful to our calling and to our king. Mm. Let's wrap up with this one verse in James chapter 2, verse 8. Remember his call, dear brothers and sisters, and live by the royal law found in Scripture— Love others as you love yourself. You'll do well to do this. Hmm. Simple as that. And that, I guess, is our challenge for today. As you think about the things you see in the news, friends, ask yourself, what would God have you to think about those things? And what kind of scripture can he bring to your heart and mind that might address that on a level, a plane that's far above just the circumstances? Mm -hmm. Because we do want to be aware of and in that kingdom, in the presence of God, while we walk our way through this world. That's our hope for you. It's our hope for us. And thank you so much for sharing this time with us on Compassion Radio's 360. We'll see you again next Monday for the next Chasing the Word. I belong to Jesus, the cross that once was mine, became the curse that he would bear, give to me new life. I am
Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.